You're listening to episode 60 of the Journey to Launch podcast, how 22-year-old Cody Berman is making his way to financial independence. T-minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm talking to Cody Berman today from fly to fi.com. It's a blog, and Cody reached out to me. He had a really nice little pitch and email. I didn't know of him before, but I apparently had made an impact on him because he said he listened to the show. He's heard my interviews on other shows, and he's a part of the FI movement, a part of the community. And I was impressed by Cody because he's only 22 years old. Yes, you heard that right. Cody is 22 years old and is on the path to financial independence already. So I was really intrigued. I looked up his stuff. I was like, you know what? I have to have him on because I want him to share with us his journey. While for the spectrum of the journey and his life in terms of how old he is, he's young, right? He's younger than I was. I didn't even know about financial independence at 22. I had no clue. So I wanted to know just how he came upon this movement, what he's learned so far on the way, what can he teach us at his age from his fresh perspective? And as a mom myself with kids, I'm always just impressed and intrigued by young people who I feel like are being smart and successful in their lives and with their finances, because I'd love for my children to be able to carry the torch, do better than I've done, start earlier with their journey to financial freedom. And I just wanted to talk to him like, "Hmm, what did your parents do? (laughs) What did they instill in you? Or better yet, what is your own self-drive? How did you put yourself in this position? So this would be great for one, parents who have small kids, older kids, I think, just to hear some of the things that Cody says he grew up with, what his parents did to help him along and get him started on this. And then to listen from his perspective, this perspective of youth and what he's wanting to do. And if you do have someone younger, whether that's a family member, a friend who is maybe in their 20s in college, send them this episode. Hopefully they get inspired by Cody that if someone like him can do this, that they can do it too. Sometimes you only need to see one person going after something or maybe one person doing something you didn't even think was possible. And you say to yourself, hey, wait a second. Now, this opens up a whole new realm for me. So hopefully this will do that for you or someone you know. And I think it's a really good contrast to last week's episode. So in episode 59, I spoke to Elizabeth White. She is older and she talked about her story of being 55. Well, when she was 55, realizing that she was really broke and unemployed and really not where she thought she'd be with her finances. So if you haven't listened to that, After you listen to this episode, go back and listen to episode 59. I've been getting great feedback about it. And I just love how 
I'm basically talking to two different ends of the spectrum. Someone young, just starting out with financial independence. What is their life like? What are they looking to do? And then last week, speaking to someone who was older in the journey. So if you want the episode show notes for this, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 60. If you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts, that's that purple app on your phone. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. But remember, you can listen to this anywhere you listen to podcasts or where you just listen to audio. So that's Spotify. You can listen to this on YouTube. You can listen to this on your Android phone. The list goes on. You can find all the places to listen to this at journeytolaunch.com slash episode 60. And if you want to share with me your thoughts on this episode, if you want to just let me know you've been listening, screenshot your phone, say, hey, I'm listening, Jamila, at me on social media. I'm Journey to Launch on Twitter. Instagram, and Facebook. And as always, you can join the Facebook community so we can discuss the topics more and anything you want. That's journeytolaunch.com slash community, and that will take you to the Facebook group. All right, journeyers, let's hop into this talk. Hey, journeyers, super excited to talk to today's podcast guest, Cody Berman. Hi, Cody. Hey, how you going? Good. And I'm going to give a little background on you, Cody, so my listeners can get to know you better. But of course, we're going to hop into some great conversation and they'll figure out really quickly why you're here, why I think that you'd be a good guest. So Cody Berman is a young entrepreneur striving towards financial independence, and you are intentionally living so you can meet that goal. You run the blog Fly to FI, and you also co-founded a disc golf manufacturing company. And you're passionate about fitness, travel, self-improvement. And the reason why we're talking today is because you reached out to me, you sent me an email, and you mentioned that you were on a couple other podcasts, including one of my other favorites, Choose FI, but also that you listened to my podcast and that you wanted to share your experiences. And I actually heard you on the Choose FI episode. And I check out your site, and I was very impressed that you are so young, 22, right? Yeah, 22. (laughs) 22 years old, and you already have so much more than a lot of us, me included, and I'm sure other people listening, you have so much more thought out at your age and figured out than we did. And so I was also thinking, okay, how can this though be applied to my audience? Because whenever someone contacts me, whenever I'm thinking about bringing a guest on, I'm like, okay, how can this benefit the listeners, the journeyers? Because can they relate to this story? My last thing is that I don't want people to feel like, well, how can this help me? Like, I'm far from 22. What can Cody teach me? And I thought, you know what? He can actually teach a lot. He can teach us as parents who have younger kids or even older kids what to do so that our children are on this path to FI at such a young age. And then just inspiration. We can learn from all levels, whether people are older or younger than us. So that's why I wanted to have you on. So thanks for coming on, Cody. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I hope I can live up to the spotlight. You give me a big hype up there. (laughs) No, I think you will. So let's jump into your story. How does one at 22 years old know about FI and is already on the path to it? All right. So how far do you want me to jump back, like back to the cradle or? (laughs) Well, one of my questions for you, because you, you mentioned that your parents had a big part in instilling some of this foundational stuff. And you mentioned that they taught you about money. So you had a good financial background. But let's talk about how your parents raised you, like the things they taught you for you to even understand and be on this path so early. 
Yeah, probably the most important thing was just the value of hard work and how nothing is free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And so my brother and I were just kind of taught that we had to work hard in order to succeed. And so from a very, very young age, that was instilled in us. In school, we tried as hard as we could. We tried to get the best grades we could. It was just hard work, hard work. So to couple that with finance and financial independence, we were also taught that you needed to save as much of your income. Uh, we didn't have much income back then, but I mean, getting money from family at birthday parties and stuff like that, we'd put it away in our bank accounts and something that my dad would do for my brother and I up until age 10 was he would match it 100% overnight. So we'd get like 50 bucks from our birthday party, which was all the money in the world to us when you're seven or eight years old. We put it in and the next day it would turn into $100. So <laughs> seeing your money double overnight, is just an amazing feeling. And obviously it's a little unrealistic for the real world and what you and I get for interest rates. We put it in a savings account. But to me, that was awesome at age seven or eight, seeing my money double. So it kind of just instilled this savings into me. And so I guess as a young adult, when I started my first real job and even today, I still have that savings into me and just try to save every single penny that comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, can I ask what your parents did? Because I think this frames how you were raised if you were raised kind of middle class or upper class. Yeah, middle class. My mom didn't work. Well, she did some part-time work when I was a kid. She did massage therapy, but she was mostly home with us just to, I think, increase our value of life. That's kind of a reason why I'm journeying to five so I can be there for my kids. But yeah, she was there for us most of the time, just bringing us to events, driving us around. My dad was in marketing. So yeah, we lived a middle-class lifestyle in a small town in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And I ask that because as a parent myself, and or just I have a lot of parents who ask, okay, I wasn't taught this. So the things maybe that you were taught, Cody, growing up, the parents listening were not taught this, and now they want to instill this into their kids. And so they're hearing you say, well, my parents matched me on my savings. So they taught me very early on what compounding interest was. And I want to be clear, you don't have to be rich to be able to do that kind of stuff. Even if it can't double whatever money that your kid got for a birthday or Christmas gift, there are ways in which you can teach your child without having a lot of money, these financial foundations, right? Exactly. And even if you do have a four-year-old who does chores and they get $5 a week or something, if you tell them if they save that and you match it and $5 to an adult isn't that much, but to a four-year-old, that is all the money in the world. And it really does make a lasting impact from a psychological standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you're growing up and now you enter into high school. Talk about the things you did in high school to help you further your goal to just personal finance, because I'm assuming by then you didn't really know what FI was. Talk to me when you first got introduced to FI. FI was introduced to me, I was 19, and I read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. So I was a sophomore in college. But before then, I'll hop back to high school. So I mean, I still had that savings mentality. So I was working all throughout high school doing hosting at a restaurant. I did some serving. I did some odd jobs in retail, just basically earning money. And I had like a 95% savings rate because I wasn't spending much money. Maybe I spent a little more once I got, got a car and could drive around with my friends and stuff. But when you're 14 or 15 years old, it's pretty difficult to spend huge chunks of money unless you're just going online or even though it was only seven or eight years ago, Amazon wasn't that big. So I wasn't spending a huge portion of my income. So that was throughout mm-hmm. high school. And then, yeah, I discovered Phi sophomore year of college. I've still been working odd jobs just to make money on the side. During the summer, I'd work full time, different jobs. But yeah, so then I discovered Phi and my whole life just changed. I was like, wow, this is absolutely crazy that you can set yourself up to have passive income or a nest egg that can sustain your lifestyle in perpetuity. Like you can stop working once you reach that cash flow goal. And so Basically, from that point on, that was my life goal. 
<laughs> at 19, you figured out that's what you were going to do. Yeah, I think mostly it was just the idea that Tim Ferriss talked about was you don't have to trade your time for money in a linear relationship. You can front load the work in an entrepreneurial venture and say you build a business, build something that will pay you over your lifetime. You don't have to work a 40 hour week and get paid based on those hours you worked. You can spend those 40 hours building a business that pays you into the future. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an investment. Yes. Yes. I want to go back a little bit to your high school years because you mentioned you worked and you didn't spend a lot of money. You just saved it. And it goes back again to just part of the drive that you have. Because there are some kids, I'm sure, that get taught about personal finance and saving and they still don't do what you do. Right. Like, so part of that is being taught to you. But part of that is instinct. Because I know also, even when I was in high school, which was a while ago, where if they got a job, like I had friends that got jobs and they would spend all their money on clothes or whatever it was, the latest fad, like they didn't have the saver's mindset. So I think it's just impressive that at 19 or even throughout high school, you really just didn't have that other side of you that wanted to spend money in that way. Yeah, I think I was really fortunate. And it just goes back to that foundation of savings that my parents really helped me out with. I can't speak from the parenting point of view, but from a child's perspective, that was just a really, really influential tactic that they used in raising me. Mm-hmm. Now, also in high school, you took a lot of AP classes, right? Because we're going to talk about you graduated from college without any college debt. Yes, yes. So let's talk about what you did in high school to get you kind of ahead in terms of your courses and your course load while you were in college. Yeah, so I guess starting in high school, I did take quite a few AP exams. I probably could have taken more if I knew what I knew now. But I did take four AP courses and I passed them all. So for people who don't know, AP courses is an advanced placement exam. And it will be in a subject like math or English. And you have to score a four or a five. So the scale is from zero to five. You have to score usually a four or a five. And then it exempts you from a college class. So you can get out of college English by taking this AP exam in high school. And quite frankly, it's pretty much the same difficulty as a regular high school class. It's just more geared toward the AP exam itself. So I did take a few AP exams in high school and I had some friends. So just give some more advice to your listeners who took CLEP exams. And so that's very similar to an AP exam, except there's not an accompanying course. So you'd self-study and you can also self-study for AP exams too. So you can take all these courses in high school and then you can ultimately knock out one, two, three, even four semesters. I've seen some kids knock out four semesters of college by taking these exams in high school. And just think about the savings. If you were to go to a private university that costs 60 grand a year or something like that, that's $120,000 by taking extra courses that are free in high school. Right. And not only did you take these AP courses, so you graduated with college credit, but you decided not to go to a private school that was a lot of money, right? You went to a state school. Yes. Like I said before, I took four AP classes. So it was a little more than a semester worth of credits that I came in with. I was a semester ahead. But the schools I was looking to, I was down to two schools. One was a private university. One was a state university. The private university was 60 grand. And I was fortunate enough through my hustle in high school to get a half off scholarship. So, woo, now it's <laughs> 30 grand a year. And my parents said they'd try to help me out as much as they could with college. But I knew a 30 grand a year bill is something that they couldn't afford. So I did end up going to the state university and I got some academic scholarship there as well. So I ended up paying like a little over five grand a year. And that was a huge difference. I mean, that's 6x difference between the public and the private university. And I can't speak to what my life would have been if I went there, but I think I turned out pretty good going to the public university. Right. And 
you consciously made that decision. All right, I'm not going to just go to this private university just for the sake of the name, right? Or you go to this state school and you graduated with no student loan debt, which definitely put you further along than people who graduate with tons and tons of student debt. Now, did you fund that 5000 a year that it did cost? Did you pay for that yourself or did your parents help you? So we kind of both paid for it. And I didn't mention this before. In addition to getting some, it was like academic discount for having good grades, but I applied to probably over my college career, 150 different scholarships. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was by using a tactic I like to call templifying. So I built five or six default templates for that answered practically 80% of scholarship prompts. So like the 20% that I didn't answer, okay, I just won't apply to those because I didn't want to take the time to write a hundred different scholarship essays, but I built like an arsenal of five or six and that allowed me to mass apply to a bunch of different scholarships, which is a super powerful tool in getting scholarship awards. And if you think like, oh, I'm never going to get a scholarship award, there's like the most insane and specific scholarships Ever. Like I got a scholarship because my grandma was from Sweden and it was like a scholarship for like $1,500 every year. And that was just because I randomly applied and saw it. And it's insane. And you might think, oh, I'm not going to get these scholarships because there's so much competition. But really, when you get down to the nitty gritty, like local scholarships and really, really detailed scholarships where you have to be like X, X and X. Yeah, there might be 10 competitors. And so, yeah, for anyone listening who has kids, just have them check out scholarship sites. Uh, two of my favorites are Scholly and scholarships.com. So those are two great resources to get started and build some templates and get going. All right. I will definitely link those in the episode show notes, guys, so you guys can look at that. Now, you said you applied to these also while you were in school. So while you were in college? Yes, while I was in college and while I was in high school. Some are four-year scholarships. So you can apply to one out of high school. It'll give you, say, two grand a year for all four years you're in college. Or you can apply while you're in college. And It might be a one-time award. Like I got a one-time award for $3,000 from this random foundation that supported my school. Mm -hmm. But that was only one year. So some of them are recurring. Some of them are one year, but every penny counts. And if you're thinking of it in terms of dollars per hour, like it takes you maybe a few hours to write a really good essay. And if you get three grand from that, like you're making hundreds of dollars per hour from that essay. Right, right. And I think it's also pretty interesting because, again, you already had uh, most of your tuition paid for, yet you still hustled (laughs) to get the remaining paid for and to get extra money in scholarships. Again, that just shows your drive. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I mean, I didn't think I was doing anything crazy at the time. Like, I didn't know that my friends were racking up a bunch of student loan debt because my parents kind of told me that debt was bad. And so I really tried to avoid it as best I could. Like, I was honestly blind probably in my early years of college to the fact that other people were racking up these huge bills. I thought other people were doing what I was doing, applying to scholarships and stuff like that. But yeah, talking about it now, I realize how many people are struggling because they don't know about these avenues like scholarships and AP exams and CLEP exams and all these ways you can get ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. So now you graduated, no debt. When did you graduate? December 2017. So last year. <laughs> so you're a recent graduate. And one of the things when I was looking through your blog was that when you were looking at a major, you wanted to just pick something that you could make the most amount of money in, and you picked finance, right? That is exactly right. <laughs> I literally <laughs> Google searched what bachelor's degree can you earn the most money in, and it was like finance, and I think engineering was the other one, and I chose finance because I was good with numbers. We have a lot in common there because I did the same thing. I was like, okay, I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. I just wanted to make a lot of money, and I just picked business and with a specialization in finance for the school I went to because I was like, you know what? I'll figure it out from there. But yes, it's funny because I had the same kind of thought process also. 
there was definitely a shift after I read the four hour work week with Tim Ferriss, just realizing how valuable your time is and how it's such a limited resource. And quite frankly, I was going down the investment banking path because within the scope of finance, that's like the cream of the crop. That's where you make the most money. I was really shooting for the top. I actually got a bunch of offers from some investment banks in New York City and I was willing to grind, put in the time. But what that meant was working 90 to 100 hour weeks. And I had friends who did that for three, four, five years. They worked 100 hours a week. They had worked most Saturdays. Yeah, at the end of the year, you get paid. It was around like $120,000 was the starting coming out of your bachelor's degree. But working 100 hours a week, once you boil that down and like reverse engineer the math, you're making like 20 bucks an hour or something. And you don't have time to spend with family, with friends. So for me, it didn't matter how much money I was making. I wanted those experiences. I wanted to get value out of my life. I didn't want to slave away to just rack up this huge lump sum number and be miserable for five years. So definitely took a huge career swing once I kind of realized that. So when you graduated last year, what did you graduate to do professionally? So I did end up accepting an offer from my internship last year. So yeah, at the end of August, I signed my offer letter. It is at a bank, but it's a lot different than the investment banks that I was looking at before. It's 40 hours a week and they pay you overtime and they encourage that you take vacations. And it's just like a really nice work environment, which is pretty untraditional when you look at a lot of the investment banks. Like you're just a pawn to them. You get one week off per year. And like I said, you're working most Saturdays, working 100 hours a week. They treat you like crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I ended up choosing a job. It's still in my field, still in finance, but just a lot better. I'm not making $120,000 a year, but I'm still making a good salary. And I, I definitely trade that time for life. <laughs> right. You made the decision, okay, like I'm going to still come out making a decent salary, but I want to value my time and a lot of insight for someone so young to make that kind of decision. So now you discovered FI, you understand what it is, and now you want to work towards it. What for you is financial independence? What does that look like for you? One thing I butt heads with with the traditional FI mentality is the idea of a nest egg, grinding for 10 years and accumulating, say, a million dollars so you can withdraw 40000 a year using the 40% rule. I'm kind of approaching it from a cash flow perspective. So I'm trying to build up side hustles and passive income that will support my life on a monthly cash flow basis. So say I spend $2,000 a month, I need $2,000 in side hustles and passive income in order to retire and just keep that going in perpetuity as opposed to generating this huge nest egg and taking a, a portion of it every month. And in that case, that's why for you, you can forego the big paycheck right now, like if you were to go to investment bank, because right now you're focused on building up those side hustles or the passive income side, right? Definitely. And I think just having this five mindset, talking about the savings rate I've had ever since I knew what money was, that's carried through for me. So I mean, I'm still driving the first car I bought. I'm not looking to buy a fancy house or anything like that. So I'm still living as frugally and as cheaply as possible. So even with this pay cut, it's not like I'm making $10,000 a year. You know, it's still good money. I'm still going to have a really high savings rate. So it's not like I'm just foregoing building any nest egg at all, but I am going to build a runway. So I'll, I'll have some money. So in case all my entrepreneurial ventures fail, I'll have a nice little cushion. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? What side hustles are you working on to help you get to that passive income level? I just love side hustles. I've been entrepreneurial at heart. So far right now, I co-founded a disc golf company my junior year of college for People who don't know, disc golf is like ball golf, except instead of hitting a ball into a hole with a club, you're throwing a plastic disc into what's called a pin. It's kind of like a basket with chains on it. I also run the personal finance blog, Fly to Fi, where I kind of just document my journey as a 
young learner going through this five life, just documenting all my different side hustle ideas and how the blog's doing, stuff like that. Also working that W2 job, so that's not a side hustle, but it's another income stream. Some other stuff I was doing, so I just got back from Australia. I was doing Uber Eats delivery on a bicycle there. So I don't know if you want to call that a side hustle, but it's just like making extra money. In Australia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wait, did you go to Australia just for that or did you go for vacation and then do that also? Yeah, I just went for vacation. No, I did not go to Australia to deliver food on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I went there for five months, actually. So I graduated a semester early so I could travel before I started my job. Mm-hmm. Just left and right trying to make income. Like I do some shoveling and landscaping whenever I can. I do alcohol sampling. That doesn't sound as good as it actually is. I'm the guy handing out the alcohol samples, not drinking them. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I actually did that. I did that in my 20s. I had like a little side hustle doing that too. And it wasn't that bad of money for like an hour or two of work. You make like $25 an hour for handing out alcohol to people. Yeah. Basically, I just try to diversify my income streams as much as possible. I like to call it my financial waterfall. So that's my lifeline. And I have all these income stream rivers at the top. So if one dries up, I'm still okay. I still have some other ones feeding the waterfall. Right. And what it also does, it builds your skill set. You're doing so many different things and it's touching upon all these different skill sets and building different types of skills for you to be able to monetize. Whereas somebody who's not as focused at looking at different ways to make money and they're only focusing on one thing you are building all these different side hustle muscles. Definitely. I like that side hustle muscles. <laughs> yeah, I'm coining that phrase. I've used that a couple of times. And every time I've used it, someone's like, oh, side hustle muscle. I'm like, yeah, that's like what we're building, right? Like when we are working on all these different things. Yeah, I think something that you touched on is failing forward. And I really, really like that concept too. Just the idea that you can build your skill set. And so even if I miserably fail at every venture, I just said, I'm going to be 10 times better equipped to take on the next venture. Every failure just adds an incremental skill to you and you just become this master of all skills. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about still having a fallback plan, your goal is to reach FI, but in a way in which you're building up your passive income streams. Do you have an endpoint on which you're going to stop working so that you can pursue your side hustles a bit more? Or what's the goal around that? All right. So people might think I'm absolutely insane, but I really want to quit my W-2 job next year. So this is something I'm not doing right now, but I've been really actively looking at real estate investment opportunities, not just in my area, but in other states too. So I guess to preface all of this, I'm 22. I'm not used to luxury at all. If I have to, I can eat rice and beans. If I have to, I can sleep in my mom's basement. It's just having the advantages at this age allows me so much freedom to fail. And if all my entrepreneur ventures fail, my mom will probably take me back in and I won't be starving (laughs) on the streets. I really think that's huge in my goal to retire the W-2 job next year and hopefully just live off the income from all of those ventures I just talked about. Obviously, they're small now, but as they're building, I mean, hopefully, I was going to say there's no way they're going to go down in revenue, but maybe they could. Hopefully not, though, because I am keep working as hard as I can on them and I'm super passionate about all the stuff I'm working on. So hopefully those income streams will be able to support my life. And so say they can only support a $20,000 a year lifestyle for year one, which I spent less than that last year. But maybe five years down the road, I'll be making 50, 100,000. Who knows? It's a challenge too. Like I kind of like having the pressure on me and being up against the wall. So I have to make that money in order to support myself. And it'll make me grind hotter in all my side hustles. So yeah, that's my current plan. As crazy as it might sound to people, <laughs> I'm hoping to get out of the W-2. Well, you know what? I would think that a lot of people 
at your age, if they can look back and didn't have the responsibilities of a mortgage or a spouse and kids that they probably would look back and maybe take a risk that you're taking. Because if there is a time to do it where it's not as detrimental, if you don't succeed, it is now. It is when you don't have so many other things depending on you. You really only need to take care of yourself. Now, can I ask if you still live at home? So I just got back from Australia last week. So I am currently at home, but I'm probably going to be moving out sometime in the next month. But yeah, I'm just kind of recovering now from my long trip. I'd have no problem having my kids stay with me until they figure out what they're doing with their lives, as long as I knew that they were ambitious. Because honestly, how I've gotten ahead is through the support of my mom, my husband's parents also in a way helped us out because we lived in their basement when we were saving for our wedding and saving to buy our investment property and our home. So it's one of those things where you do what you can as a parent. And if you are a child or someone who has the opportunities to leverage some of this stuff as parental support or whether it's emotional or just actual financial, why not? Again, and you're at the perfect age to do that. It's really a huge advantage. And I understand how fortunate I am because I know some people don't have that. They might not have a home to go back to or they might not have someone who supports them, but it has been instrumental and just super helpful along my journey. Mm -hmm. Now you're working on these side hustles. You have a bunch going on. You're going to probably look into some real estate in a perfect world. Where is Cody in 10 years? Ooh, 10 years. Yeah. Okay. I want to just speak to mostly college students. Well, maybe that's just because of the age I am now and just talk about what I'm talking about right now with you. A lot of my friends don't understand how credit cards work and it's kind of scary. Like I know a lot of people who carry a big balance because they think that's going to increase their credit and they just don't understand how leasing a car, they just think in the monthly payments, they don't know how much interest they're paying over time and just basic general finance stuff. I mean, I just want to be like keynote for that type of stuff, spreading the word. And then on my other business fronts, I'll be managing some real estate properties, hopefully. And then the disc golf business that I'm super passionate about, I've been playing the sport for like 15 years. I'm hoping that's going to take off too, because I love playing. It's a good sport. Get outside, have fun. Yeah. So I guess that's Cody when he's 32. Probably have a family started then. I have an awesome girlfriend at the moment. So <laughs> I guess that's my life in 10 years. Now that you brought that up, is she also on the path to FI? How does she feel about this? But first, it was me ramming math and tax hacks down her throat, basically. And she was not having that. Like, she did not get any of the numbers or anything like that. Because I'm a finance nerd. We both went to school for finance. So, like, we like spreadsheets. We like seeing that stuff. But she's not. She's public health. And she likes quality of life, saving the environment, stuff like that. So I kind of had to tackle getting her on board from a different approach. And I kind of told her, like, if we pursued this lifestyle and we can have complete autonomy over traveling wherever we want to go, you can have time to work on the projects you want to work on. You don't have to answer to someone. If your family gets sick, you can be there for them. You don't have to beg your boss for time off from work. Living a lifestyle where you're the boss gives you so much flexibility. And so that's kind of the route I took to get her on board with me. The math wasn't really working. I was sending her mad scientist articles on how to like, hack your HSA account. And she was like, what is this? <laughs> it's interesting because I say this all the time. This is kind of how I got my husband on board too, is that when you come to your epiphany or your realization, that's one thing. But if you have a partner, a spouse, or someone that you would like to join you on the journey, they have to come to their own realization and you can't force it down to them, right? They have to almost have this awakening themselves. And the best way to do that is to give them a reason for wanting to pursue it, is to show them how their dreams and their goals are also going to be met 
by doing this also. Like you said, she has different motivations. Your motivation and her motivation might be a little bit different. At the end, it might lead to the same place, but that immediate, like that makes her get up in the morning or makes my husband get up in the morning, it might be different than what makes me get up in the morning. So I found that when I approached him as, okay, what do you want? What makes you happy now? And how can we intertwine that? How can we still make sure that happens for you reasonably while still creating a amazing future? Definitely. No, I really like that. It works wonders. I see a lot of this in Facebook groups. I'm active in people like, how do you get your spouse on board? And I really think it's just appealing to them. It's finding what they want in life and then catering to that with the fine journey in mind. Going back to just your parents. Again, I feel like this episode really could be for anyone listening. But I really feel like for parents listening who want to create children who are financially astute and who understand finances, you kind of touched on it already, but how can a parent start to do this for their child? How can they how can they give their child a head start with their finances the way you got one? Okay, so I think it definitely depends on the age. So I, I don't remember who said this, but it was a really cool idea that I saw where they pay their kid an allowance. Like say it was like 10 bucks per week or something. And then just so the kid can understand how money works, they have to pay back like $5 to their parents in rent and then like a dollar in taxes or something. So they like net $4 a week. Like they're still earning money. For their allowance. And it was like, it was like a four year old or something, but just like making them understand that you kind of have to pay for things and everything doesn't come free because I've known a lot of people who think up until they start earning money that like everything's free. They don't really understand how money works. Their parents just buy it for them and they have it. There's no, there's no in between. There's no thought. There's no like action and thinking about it. It's just, it happens. And I don't know. I think just getting that idea into people, you have to work for things. And yeah, they're not just going to get given to you. And I think that might be a mindset that a lot of people come out of college with. So they think that using debt to like finance a car is completely normal because before in life, they just, they want something and then they'd figure out a way to get it. Like probably asking mom and dad when they were younger and then they'd get it. So with the car company, this, this really nice loan company says, oh, we can do that for you. We can give you the car. And then they get swindled into a terrible deal where they're paying like huge interest payments every month for the next 10 years. And I think just letting people know or just having them understand the value of money and how it works. And you need, you need to actually have the money before you spend it. And I think that's a, that's something that I've noticed in amongst my friends, just in America in general, just the debt problem that we've had, especially with student loans and financing cars and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think a really good way to get younger kids on board. Say someone's listening and they have like an older child, someone in high school or even college. And this is the first time that they're getting on board with this. So they haven't really approached their child about this. How can then maybe how can you appeal to an older child, right? Someone who is older, high school, college age that listen, this is kind of you need to get need to get on board with this because your life will be so much better for doing this. How can you appeal to an older person? Especially once you're cognizant, I don't know, maybe like 13, 14, you're actually like maybe thinking about money and stuff like that. There's so many personal finance bloggers out there, and there's definitely one that's going to appeal to them, just probably writing style, the way they portray information. And I don't know, maybe incentivize them. Like say, if you read this article and give me a summary, like I'll give you 10 bucks or something like that, because mm -hmm. a kid always wants money or whatever the kid might want. Just kind of incentivize them, because if you send them an article, a 14-year-old, they're probably just not going to read it. I'm just thinking back when I was 14. I probably wouldn't have just read an article that my parents sent to me for fun. Right. There has to be some incentive there. 
get them thinking about it. Just let them know this is out there. It's like that people are living like this and living a financially independent lifestyle because I had no clue it even existed. I thought everyone just worked for 40 years and that was that because I mean, that's what we see. That's what most people do. Right. And what a blessing for you that you found that out so young because I felt the same way where I didn't realize that this financial independence was even a thing until my early 30s. And so for me, it was like, wow, if I would have known that this was a thing, this was possible in my 20s, I would have totally gotten on board, which is why I feel like when this platform Journey to Launch is about sharing this world of financial independence with more people, because my goal is to get everyone, as many people as possible to even just understand and know about it. That's just the first step so that they then now can use the resources to figure out a way in which they can reach it or at the very least, inspire their generations to come to be able to reach it. Definitely. And I think just from personally speaking, I learned like 99% of the stuff. So after the four-hour work week, I just like dove voraciously into blogs and podcasts. And I was just reading and listening to like everything I could possibly get my hands on. And I mean, that was huge. And I mean, some people I didn't connect with, some people I did, but there's a lot of great platforms out there. Like I love listening to your podcast. There's a lot of good blogs out there to read, a lot of other good podcasts too. And you can get so much value. If you're listening to a whole episode, someone might be listening to this whole episode with me and not get any value of it until I say one little thing and that one little thing might change their life. And I've had so many episodes like that where just listening, it's a good story. And then I hear like one awesome piece of advice and I'm like, wow, and it just changes your life. You are so right about that. It takes that one word, one sentence to resonate that can make a huge difference. It's super powerful. I mean, there's so many resources now. So I think for someone who's a cognizant age making money, just cut somehow, whatever you have to do to coerce them is just getting them to just listen to this podcast or read some blogs or whatever you can to educate them. They are really interesting stories and it's normal people. It's not like me and you are some freaks on this journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're just normal people trying to live a little more optimized life. Right, right. Now, and one of the other things that you kind of mentioned that I really liked about what you did is that one of the reasons you bypassed going to the private school is because you understood that your parents couldn't afford paying that. And that kind of consideration and just respect for your parents also, I think, is lacking in some child-parent relationships where you do get the thing that, okay, it's not my money, it's my parents' money, so I don't really care. So I think that that's also a good way to look at it is that if you can raise kids who not only, yes, they value their own money because they're earning it and they're making it and spending it, but it's like value my money too. Like I'm working hard to provide for you. So therefore don't, don't waste it or don't squander it just because it's not your money that you earned. Yeah. I think, and that kind of boils back to what I was talking about, like with the young kids, like I said, again, I don't remember who said it, but like making a four-year-old, it might sound silly, pay rent, but just so they have the, they understand that they have to pay for things like that. And when mom and dad are paying for everything, and it just seems so easy. And you just, oh, oh, that's not my problem. So I think that's a super powerful thing. And I guess right. to, to defend myself, you're making me sound like some angel. <laughs> I would have had to take on the student loan debt, which I didn't want personally. So <laughs> I guess it was a little selfish decision. But yeah, then again, I mean, it was looking out for my parents as well. Right, right. No, that's excellent. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about nature versus nurture. I feel like I'm doing how I built this at the end where (laughs) he asks this question for those who listen to how I built this podcast, but he always asks, how much of this do you think is your skill or you and how much of it is luck? And now I'm asking you how much of where you've gotten so far and have you started on this path? How much of that is because of nature or nurture? So 
your innate talent and skills to get this done or just how you were raised, do you think? Oh, that's so tough. Okay, so I don't know if I can give a percentage to this. I think it's definitely both because there's things that if I wasn't raised the way I was that I wouldn't have done things in the future. But I also know people who were raised similarly and made a lot different choices in the future. So it's like a 50-50 for me, I guess, because I know people who they understand this and I've had them listen to a few episodes of some podcasts, read some blog posts, and then they just go back to terrible spending habits just because maybe they don't have the drive. They don't want to work hard for it. They don't want to hustle. And I think it is a characteristic that some people have and some people don't have, like just having that hustle and that grind to go in and do stuff like like your site and your podcast. That takes a lot of hustle and grind. You have to be super passionate about that. Someone might not just have that hustle and grind about anything. And even if they understand the principles of FI, they might not want to put in the work, just the extra work to get the extra mile ahead. Right. You have a brother, right? Yes. So not to put your brother on blast so you don't have to answer this, but is he as financially aware and astute as you are? Because that would kind of help us see about the nurture part of things, right? So he was in mind actually when I was answering this. So he definitely understands all the frugality. He is very frugal. He doesn't like spending money. He doesn't spend money extravagantly at all. He saves a good portion of the income that he makes, but he's just definitely not as motivated to earn extra income and have side hustles and stuff like that. Like he'd work summer jobs and work out jobs and stuff like that, but it wasn't about trying to build his own business. Like I tried to get him to go on a few ventures with me. Wasn't having it. So the first 50%, he's there all the way with me doing all that frugality and saving and understanding that. But then when it goes to like the hustler, ambitious side of things, he just doesn't quite have the motivation and passion yet. He hasn't found his calling. Right, right. Okay. Cody, I think this has been a wonderful conversation and I really hope listeners got a lot from this. And even if you don't have kids or you're past that point with kids. I just think that the fact of you thinking on framing side hustles and trying to make passive income help you reach financial independence is something anyone can learn from and develop in their own life. So that's another thing I wanted to point out. But where can people find out more about you for people who want to follow you on this journey, who want to root for you to reach your goals? Where can they find you? Yeah, so they can reach me on my blog at fly to fi, so that's fly to fi. You can hit me up on the contact form there. I'm pretty quick to respond and I pretty much just document my journey and just successes and failures as well. So you'll figure out what doesn't work and what does work. And <laughs> and I'm fly to fly on all social media too. So Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, everything. All right. And I'll link all that in the show notes so people can follow you, check you out. But Cody, I have no doubt that you will far surpass any probably goals you even set for yourself. You're very ambitious. I'm excited to see where you end up. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Maybe I'll come back in a year or so with an update. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. All right, Cody, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cody. As I said before, I think if you do have someone who is younger that you think could benefit from hearing his story, send them this episode. That's journeytolaunch.com slash episode 60. And if you're a parent yourself, think about how you can set your kids up to have a starting point like Cody did. I love that his parents started him off with the whole savings concept and helping giving him some incentive to save more. So what kind of things can you instill and do for your kids at this point? I have a lot of ideas on things I want to do for my kids. So hopefully they start their journey to financial independence really early too. So a little birdie just told me, and by birdie, I literally mean birdie like on Twitter because the bird symbol for Twitter and I saw it on Twitter. (laughs) Anyway, 
So a birdie just told me that Cody and someone who has a cool blog, TJ from Half-Life Theory, is starting a podcast. So they're starting a podcast called Fire Below Zero. I believe it's going to be really new, like they just launched. So go check out the podcast. I'll have that link in the episode show notes too. Again, episode show notes are journeytolaunch.com slash episode 60. If you are loving the podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you listen to this in Apple Podcasts. But really, just share this with your family and friends and anyone who you think will need this or need to hear this message. I'm so glad to have you on this journey with me, Journeyers. I really am. Every week, you're tuning in, you're engaged, you're sending me basically all the accomplishments, all the wins. So I have people sending me every day almost, wow, Jamila, I'm paying off debt. I am saving more. I'm investing. It's amazing to see the progress. So I just can't wait where we end up next, Journeyers. And I do have a special, special announcement next week. So please stay tuned. Tune back in next week's special announcement. That's going to be episode 61. So make sure you're listening. All right, Journeyers, until next time, keep on journeying. (laughs) 